Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path podcast actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path after party number 47. (laughs) (laughs) That was a a weak start. That's what I got, okay? This after party will be covering episodes 139, 140, and 141. I, Otherwise, I, I don't remember what happened in any of those, so I'm actually pretty stuff. looking forward to this recap. 140 was just a fight. Oh, right. <laughs> it was not just a fight. Well, it was also... Let's start at the beginning, I think. <laughs> let's, let's start with the... Okay, let's start with the beginning. First off, Episode we had just gotten... one. Episode one. Okay. <laughs> Sudi had Wait. some rope. Sudi had some rope. Goodness. All right. Uh, but really, episode 139 was uh, we had just gotten with Sophronia. We had rested for the evening and set off for that disc room to clear that out. Oh, yeah. Right. And, we uh, had uh, fun with the discovered disc room. that standing on it opens up a, you know, little sub cubby that had a cool teleportation circle. And we were like, man, that's really cool. Up until the uh, the golem came out. The was it Pantherian? Yeah. The Pantherian. It sounds like yes. a Thundercats character and name. And I finally used my immovable rod, which I've just I, had. Okay, first off, Jess was having big, big brain time because <laughs> she decided to put the immovable rod on there so she could get in the room because yep. that was genius. Like, I literally was, like, in awe of your genius in that moment. Every now and then you got to look at your back page to see what kind of stuff you're working <laughs> with. <laughs> well, we're not usually the kind of people, like, in, the, in this kind of group that where we, we reach into the pack to pull something out all that often, so... It's, hey, it's very rare. Hollis still has an elemental gem that she can throw down at some point. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't even know when we got that. It's kind of funny. I remember whenever I was reading over the description of that room, and it talks about uh, if a living creature weighing at least 100 pounds stands on the floating disc, the door slides upward into the uh, the wall and reveals the chamber beyond. I was like, you know, it would really suck to be like a party of all halflings. Uh, yeah, you have to be piled on there. Yeah, it's like we've got to have three people hop on this thing so one guy can get inside of this room. Oh man, yeah, that's a good point. And we can't just kill a cultist and throw them on there because they all explode. Yeah. We also learned the valuable lesson of using the golem bane scarabs that we have. Again, check your second page. Yep, I have that- mine actually right in front of me, and I'd been fairly good about saying, "Oh, I'm checking," but. Yeah, that was one of those moments where I was like, oh, it's fine. Well, I got so used to it being, oh, it's a statue of a Reshkigal. It's a statue of a Reshkigal. And I was just like, oh, that's used for the scrying thing that we we discovered. And then we walk into something and like it totally slipped my mind that he was describing something completely different. You were just like, ah, statue must be a Reshkigal. Yeah, I remember during the edit and everything, I think it kind of got glossed over at the time. I don't know if it actually made the edit that you were talking about how um, I'd used a phrase that you weren't familiar with. And then you thought that it was applying to the statue because I said ball relief. I thought you were talking about the door. Yeah, I also got into a debate with the not really a debate. I got into a message back and forth on Discord with somebody because he was like, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced boss. And it's like it actually is pronounced ba or boss. It's one of those art words. It is a sculpture carving or mold. (laughs) I like that if I look up ball relief, it says a sculpture carving or molding in ball relief. Well, that helps a lot. It's, it's basically it's a carving in the wall. Like, it's not a freestanding statue. It's a wall that they've carved, like... It's a yeah. relief it in too. which the projection from the surrounding surface is slight and no part of the molded form is undercut. Anyway, it's a carving on the wall. But I think that just kind of threw Jordan for a moment. And then by the time that he jumped back into the conversation, I was like, and there's a statue. But instead of, like, it being carved into the wall, it's like the shapes are... 3D. Yes. 
yeah. the shapes come out of the wall. Yes. So, and unfortunately, that led into a, uh, a golem fight, and I didn't even get to use its laser eyes, which disappointed me. <laughs> we got it too didn't close to it for laser eyes because it had freaking lasers. I'm glad you didn't, uh, because then we would have had to have the conversation with Narmer about Narmer wanting laser eyes, and I can't do that. Oh uh, no! I just need to figure out a way to get my Omni beam working. <laughs> yes. He is Narmer man. Get get some nope. upgrades. As a fun side note, also it didn't come up in that, but uh, other than its eye beams as they define them, which are pretty great, uh, it also has constant true seeing. Oh, that's nice. Interesting. So, <laughs> makes for a really good guard when it can't be fooled by invisibility. Yeah. yeah that is well, true. Well, and what it was guarding makes it makes sense because it was guarding that uh, that teleportation circle enablement field thing. Yeah. I don't really know yeah. what that was like, actually called, but uh, the waypoint. It's a waypoint, yeah. <laughs> the spawn point, right? Hollis there. did study it, so if we have to leave, I can get us back. It helps that it had a nice picture on it, so it was easy to visualize. Yeah. I think nice is not giving it enough credit. Apparently, it is so freaking detailed that it helps you with your teleportation spell. Uh-huh. Like, that's how detailed it is. That's magic for you. It's very good. Well, that's always the trick with teleportation, where it's small pet peeve, and I won't go on much of a rant here. I always hate it when I hear people just say, it's like, oh, well, it says studied carefully. I hated the phrasing of studied carefully because it implies to people, oh, well, I can take out five minutes and I can say I studied this room carefully and get the best teleportation result. And it's like, no, studied carefully means this is a room where you've laid on the bed so much that you know where every single, like, dimple in the ceiling is. This is a a place that you're so familiar with, which is why it's the highest level of familiarity. It makes me think of, like, you know, when you're at your own home and you know all the sounds in your house, you know that, oh, this is a pipe or this is a car, or, this is the cat downstairs. And then you go to a hotel room and you wake up every five minutes because you're like, what was that? And so, like, your bedroom is like you're studied carefully. Yeah. And, and so the idea that it's a uh, it's something that is so unique that it be, it's basically it burns itself into your memory. I love the idea of doing something like that. As opposed to just like, oh, okay, I'm going to teleport inside of this place. And it's like, even if a room, you have a good idea of what a room is, uh, I can imagine, you know, Hollis probably could not get much better than a base familiarity with most of the rooms in this place. So even if she teleported back in, God knows she might be on the left side of the Sphinx instead of the right side of the Sphinx. And Wrong paw! Wrong yeah, paw! <laughs> Fair enough. It's buried in rubble. But uh, from there, we had uh, journeyed back out to uh, find the Girtib Lilu oddly absent from their little area, neck of the woods, for lack of a better term. Yep, yep. Uh, and then stumbled upon the weird painting. That was very, very weird. Haunt. It's true. Yep. Yep, it was a little haunted, um, but it was really weird. It seemed to read our minds. I do like the idea of haunted painting. So I, I loved that room just because, like, it was so... It hit me at a much more visceral level because it was showing things about us. Like, it showed the mask mm-hmm. and it showed, like, all this other stuff. Is that part of the haunt as described, or did you add that? No, I added that in. It was cool. Just because I, I thought it was a nice touch. Interestingly enough, I can't go into detail on this just because it would spoil something later. Originally, there was an encounter in this room. Oh. The problem is, is that it's an encounter in this room with a with a monster that the party will get a chance to encounter again in an upcoming book. And the encounter in the upcoming book is way more interesting. And so I think having this show up and then it's like, oh, we're doing this over again. Mm. 
later would kind of undercut the the interest in that future encounter. And so I decided to drop this encounter entirely just because it made the future encounter, it will make the future encounter better. I'll have to see if I can remember to mention whenever you guys get to that encounter that that was also what was supposed to be here. Uh, and so I replaced it with a haunt from uh, Ultimate Horror. So, or Horror nice. Adventures, sorry. So it's not prophetic, it was just mind reading, correct? It's just mind reading. It was reading your past, not your future. Okay. It just went really far in my past. That's why Citra got all freaked out. Well, <laughs> no, it was good. Because it's fixated around death. So it's oh, going back to prominent okay. deaths in your past. Oh, that makes sense. So... But I, I especially enjoyed that uh, that haunt because it was it felt very flavorful and I know mm-hmm. I'm jumping like into episode 141 but uh, we're already here, but I loved how it also gave Citra a chance to use the painting thing which we haven't seen in like a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to go to go back in and be like, oh yeah, Citra. Before all this adventuring, Citra was like a painter. Yeah, he used to fix up stuff. And uh, I did have a little fun with the visions a little bit later on once I got past the initial portion because uh, I started bl- blending in your character's actions as well as uh, elements that it was getting bled over from the mask. Oh. Which is why I kept okay. kind of referencing things from the mask, which is why yeah. some of the things that it was stating to you didn't actually really make sense. Yeah, I caught that. Because it was suddenly getting confounded with this other powerful spirit that was with the party. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because like when it said, like, it said at one point the dragon, like, I thought about the. Oh gosh, the I don't remember what it was called, but it was like the sandstorm causing oh, dragon thing. Yeah. But that wasn't here. actually yeah. a dragon, was it? No. no it's not a no. true dragon, not but I believe dragon. it is a dragon. Well, then we also yeah. fought the no, dragon at the Oasis. Well, there's also Shardazad or whatever her name is. Yeah, true. but if they have yeah. to do with death, we didn't kill her. But there was the dragon at the Oasis with the freak. Oh, that's true, yeah. Well, that no, we didn't kill either. that one. That one got away. <laughs> oh, that one did get away. I forgot about that. Yeah. He flew off. Actually, we not killed any dragons. Nope. Not any wow. true dragon. We killed some drakes. Yeah, you so, haven't fought any true dragons. So maybe that's a reference to Hakatip. It's quite Perhaps. possible. Because wasn't he riding some kind of like, I don't remember what it was. Like It, it, was, it was a, a thunderbird or something. Yeah, it was a th- oh, was it a thunderbird? Okay. It was basically a rock, except for it also had lightning in its eyes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then that episode ended with us opening the door into the, uh, what do we call it, the Silver Forge? Expecting the to find Silver maybe Forge. some gear to Lilu and finding a bunch of cultists. Oh, yeah. Yep. Which we then fought in episode 140. I hate so those much. monks so much. I know, me too. It, oh. It's funny because it, it kind of like highlights the fact that like monks are devastating at higher yeah. levels. They can. Like having white. so many attacks and getting the stunning fists and things as part of attacks, like it just really can mess up a party. It's one, well, especially the stunning fists, and they hadn't even really gotten an opportunity to use much of their style stuff and everything else because oh, it's good. just. It's useful, but not necessarily against this group. Ah. So they might use it in the future if you fight some more of them, which is quite possible considering, you know, in the case, uh, a small behind the screen here and everything else, like those are just cultists that return from patrol. Mm. Oh. God knows if there's going to be another group of cultists that return from a patrol sometime soon. It just depends on how long you're here. Oh God, it's books, uh, (laughs) what, book five or book six of Serpent Skull? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You open the door and it's another patrol. So we'll see. On one hand, I don't like redundant encounters, but on the other hand, it's also necessary for uh, there to be a give and take, a trade-off for having to rest. Yeah. So or choosing to yeah. rest. Yeah. Yeah. Like I thought it was interesting just because like it's in a different area, 
and it's one of those like fights where we almost couldn't use a lot of the like big like we're still fighting that not being able to use big boom magic in this place because like everybody was just crowded into the doorway knocking blows back and forth so oh well i, I can was use these things it's just i was stunned for like so much of that fight well that's also true yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a that was quite a detriment to us well and those those monks well, they're somewhat effective. Like, they can't really hit Sudi or Masika or Citra very reliably. They can hit Hollis pretty reliably. Yep. The biggest issue with them is the fact that they have step up. It's like once they get Velcroed to a spellcaster, they just yep. stick to them and follow them everywhere they go. I mean, I do that. Yep. Yeah. That, that was going to say, that's my tactic as well. <laughs> yeah. It's my, so it's, it's, it's kind of saying your own piece. tactics thrown back at you. My new tactic will be Wall of Stone. <laughs> <laughs> It would be funny if you just cast a wall of stone through that door and it's like, ah, oh, we'll deal with that later. You get back outside and you get the notice and you're like, dang it, the stairs are through there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we wouldn't have had to worry about them coming back behind us. So there would have been that. Well, there might be stairs on the other side. Yeah, maybe. You get back and the you know monks have just been doing a one-inch punch against the side of that wall the entire time. <laughs> but by then they're tired. That, that That's true. fair. That's quite possible. I'd be, be exhausted. But I think the the fights with the cultists are always interesting, even if they are a little redundant, because of the explosion thing. Like that adds just a little bit of chaos with the whole blinding effect. Ah, uh, echolocation. It does. It feels different, um, and it feels tense. Like we literally opened that door, and I know all of us were just like, "Oh no, not these guys again!" You know. Yep. Well, and if this had been a human heavy party or something like that, the the ranger cultists would be a lot more effective. Like they were decent yeah. against Citra, but they had to get to Citra mm-hmm. to be really effective. Yeah. It's one of the things that I always appreciate about doing pre-published adventures is if I were doing a homebrew, I would probably try my best to not like metagame or anything like that, but it would be difficult to just go, okay, well, I'm going to put a ranger in here and only have him be effective against like one member of the party and not just go, you know, if I'm going to include a ranger, you know, I'm going to give him favorite enemy human, give him a couple more levels and maybe get like favorite enemy human, favorite enemy native outsider or something because they have to fight, you know, a freight or something. Mm. Yeah, and it, it's one of the things that I like about the pre-published adventures where it's I can't really metagame that much and if a, if a creature shows up and it's like, oh, well, it's not really that effective against the party. No, that's just the luck of the draw. It's quite possible the party's going to run into something. You guys are fighting flying people now. How long is it going to be before Sudi just has to break down and drink a potion of fly? I do have that potion for just such an occasion. So. Yeah, I was going to say, we at least came prepared for such a thing. True. We've, we've had too many sky, sky fights for that. Hey, we had spellcasters. Yeah, we sure. got spellcasters. They do have that really cool uh, raptor dive thing, too, that you guys got to see with Rahi. So now you get to be on the oh, receiving yeah. end. Yeah. Look forward to that. Yay. <laughs> I'm excited. You are. Um, but yeah, we after finishing up with the cultists, we looked around that room. We found some armor and weaponsmithing kits, which were like kind of okay. Yeah. We yep. found the stairs. We did yep. find the stairs to the next level and said, nope. Not yet. <laughs> Yes, and then went back outside to find the gear to Blilu had uh, vacated the premises. Just to also mention this, I always I do want to applaud all of you as players, because as a game master, I think a lot of game masters would probably be nervous about having the stairs there. That it's like, oh, the party could run upstairs and just try to basically boss rush the end of Why this would adventure. We do that? <laughs> I added too no. much crap to try to. I was going to say we're already way too drained. Right we need to go deal I'm with I'm a little this worried about the Glaberzoo, the Glaberzoo, to be honest. I'm not that yeah. drained because I was stunned for most of that fight. So I'm actually, we have a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But it is that I I never feel uncomfortable presenting the way forward towards like the 
what I know is going to be the big bad because I am, I know the party's not going to go, well, we didn't explore half of this level and also we've got this ghost lady we're supposed to be helping, but screw it, let's go to the second floor and see what's up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we're not really that type. Maybe the gift shop's up there. Yeah, we're again, we're generally the, the, the clear the floor and then go down kind of party, so like it's, it's very rare for us to just go, let's just penetrate as deep into the dungeon as we can go and then we'll clear everything else out. Yeah, so uh, after we dealt with them, we went and dealt with the haunt, and then yep. uh, made our way to the Girtablilu, who were gone. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, a lot of Osirian gone, which kind of makes me sad. Like, peace out. We, we'll we go learn a new language instead of, like, uh, you know, Osiriani. <laughs> like, we'll learn something else. Well, Thuvia's not I like that to point far. out they didn't. I was just going to say, I'd like to point out that they didn't bother learning Osiriani. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess that's true. They kind of just do their true. own thing. Because yeah, I just knew what common in Girtalilu. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, whoops. So uh, yeah, but Thuvia, man. All right. Yeah, it's fine. Cool place. They got plant life. They probably I need like, some mercs. I like how they're like, oh, the politics of the desert is too much for us. I'm like, guys, you're gonna find politics wherever you go. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they're like, we don't really want to deal with Osirian if it's gonna have an undead pharaoh, <laughs> which is what it's looking like. <laughs> which is, yeah, that might have been more what it's about. Yeah. Aw, so you're saying the Gears Lee didn't have faith in us? You're very small. <laughs> they at least left a note. Okay, so here's what Masika and Narmer do after us, because I know that they, you wanted to do your, like, pan-desert alliance or whatever <laughs> we were, you were calling it, is you got to go go back out there to them in Thuvia and be like, hey, guys, by the way, we won. Come back. They don't have to if they don't want to. It's okay. Teach me the ways of the scorpion. Yeah, I was going to say, but isn't, is Thuvia still a desert? Yes. Uh it's just you more tra- desert. Trading it's one not desert like it's, for another. It's all desert all the all the time. Yeah, I mean, you could just keep going past that to uh, what is it, Rahudum? That's there. Yeah, but they're too well, religious you for hit that. The, uh, the what Sodlands and it gets wet, like real wet. <laughs> hey, you, you have to curve. You have to curve yeah. around the side to get down to the Sodlands. But yeah, so uh, at least they left us a note to be like, oh, by the way, they know you're here. Which I mean, surprise. We already knew. Yeah, not too surprising. Uh, what was surprising was uh, going back in to go deal with the uh, the Moftet and the Glaberzu and uh, Sudi putting on the mask and and getting the feeling of exactly where um, the other part of Hakatep is. I'm not really surprised by that though, just because of it makes sense the, the soul connection that it it makes sense that once you get close enough that it, it does have that magnetic pull to it's, each other. I thought we knew it did that. I don't remember Didn't if we. we? I, I, I think we suspected it before. Maybe. It's not oh, okay. the first time that the mask has given you a general idea that you could sense the proximity, but it is. It's akin to having two drops of water. You know, if they get close enough, they're going to want to poop together again. And so it is that like the pool where maybe the mask wants to be back in the hands of Hakatep. I mean, I'm assuming all three parts want to eventually be united. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole. I mean, honestly, in the end, that's your long term goal is to actually. Yeah, we need to put it all together. (laughs) Yeah, because that's how we put Hakatep back to rest. Yeah. It's just we need to do it on our terms, not his I'm going to reign again terms. (laughs) <laughs> yes, exactly. Correct. <laughs> exactly. So, well, because again, you're you're still flying by the seat of your pants because you don't actually know how nope. to put all of it back together. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you nope, just nope. squish them together. I have a feeling it's more complicated than that. I don't know. Perhaps. I feel like you just take his mummy and then you throw it into a you know a sarcophagus you put and then you put it. the mask on it and then you just shove that heart back inside. Exactly. <laughs> Goodness. Throw a couple mummified cats in there just to be safe and then close the door. 
The end. Done. Prayers to Anubis. Prayers to Phrasma. <laughs> done deal. All right. Crisis averted. Let's go home. <laughs> but uh, we had finished episode 141 with, uh, I don't even know what to call that room, but like the giant awful? room with all the, uh, with the awful the death the days um, undead. That See, was now wild. It's, now it's punny because there's things with a death gaze in the Hall of the Dead. Ah. <laughs> uh, which, uh, like I said, those... in the episode is a pretty ingenious quasi-trap type situation. Yeah. 100% behind that, too, because when I read that, I went, God, that is clever. And it's yeah. also good design that they gave us an out to figure out that that's what it yeah. is, because yeah. like it would be super cheap to just have us walk in there, and we're like, let's go look at the sarcophagus. Okay, go ahead and start yeah. making saves. You're losing levels, you're losing levels, and we're just like, what's going on? We don't understand. <laughs> Why is this happening? Yeah. So I appreciate that they gave us the like the one that had been broken into, so we had a chance to like analyze it and figure it out. Although I'm yeah. sure yeah. there's probably plenty of parties that didn't make the rolls and are like, oh, I don't know, some kind of fiery yeah. undead. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and again, I, I won't go into the details of it because God knows how this next fight's going to go. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't Boy. imagine it going well. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> hey, we throw these Moftat into the range of the death gaze and get them leveled down a little bit. and It'll go pretty well. I do have improved reposition, so that's possible. But I think the problem is they're in the air, so they're probably just going to yeah. fly by attack us. Uh, well, Masika's just going to run right out of this room back into the hallway that the Moftat are coming that's out That's a of. good idea. <laughs> you know. Yes, just but go. how many Moftet are waiting on the other side? Yeah. I don't know, it's better than the Death Glaze. Yeah, I'd rather do the Death Glaze. I'd rather do a rolling combat than than fight Moftet in the Death Room. Yeah. As a side note, uh, I really hope out there somewhere is a donut shop that like focuses on making like skull shaped donuts called Aww. Death Glaze. Yeah, yeah that'd be awesome. oh, nice. I would buy that donut. Well, there is yep. voodoo donuts, which is like little voodoo dolls and stuff. Yeah, I want to go so. to voodoo donut. It's good. <laughs> it's super good. Sounds like something you find in New Orleans. Uh, I think Portland. it was in no, Portland, yeah, but I think there is one in New Orleans too. They're from so, Portland originally, but I don't know. So now, now yeah. we got to fight Mofta in the death room. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, if I can stun them, I can bring them out of the sky. So there's that. There should be what about six of them in here, give or take. Yeah. Yeah. Ish. I mean, again, you don't know if one of them died to that first. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so that's probably some more cultists of Ereshkigal fluttering around here somewhere. Hey, at least they're different. Maybe they won't explode. Sure. Likely I mean, they, they won't explode. because that's kind of a that's kind of a cult of the forgotten pharaoh thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from from what I think, I can't remember. I don't have the notes directly in front of me. I'm, I'm wanting to say that there were ten or eleven of them that came in here, and one of them died before and then some of them died in the fight but we need our bee baby yeah bee baby so question is when when, when do we find this bee child bee baby it's not like we have a daycare we'll put it in the bag with sugar no i figured we'd (laughs) use the teleport circle to just take her home okay that makes sense i hope i know how to get to that bee house well enough yeah, you don't want to end up at a random that. other beehives. <laughs> 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 end up on a bee farm just like stumbling through beehives. Hollis, <laughs> ah. oh, what took you so long? I don't know. I got there and then they were shaking their butts at me and I didn't know what even happened. <laughs> <laughs> I it's been days. I'm not interested, but it, you know, it was a whole thing. <laughs> I was like, I'm not interested, although I do appreciate your magical power. <laughs> yeah, magic's great. I like Goodness. your honey. Yeah, but you guys are... Uh, a little behind the screen here. You guys have officially made it to room 26. Out of uh, how many? I don't know. I think there's like 40 something. Yeah. Oh my so God. You guys are getting there. 
What a crawl, man. That's Ooh. this place is huge. It reminds me of the the Gerudo Temple in Ocarina of Time where it oh, just yeah. keeps going. Yeah, yeah. Like you're like, yeah, I figured it out. Okay, we're there. Gosh, dang, there's another freaking room. <laughs> well, and it's also it's funny because there's like you've explored even more than 26 rooms because some of the rooms there's like five rooms number 5. There's like five rooms number 15 oh, that you guys nice. went through and it's just like, oh, it's just sleeping quarters. You know, yeah. so you guys have probably been through like 30 something rooms at this point as you're just wandering around this place. Jeez. Goodness. So, yeah, you're in the back half of uh, well, technically in the left half, but you're in the back half of the uh, <laughs> exploration of the Sightless Sphinx now. Goodness. Maybe uh, maybe finish in time for 150. We'll see. We'll uh, see. Maybe. I mean, that's nine episodes. So possibly depending on how big the second floor is or however many floors are left. Yeah. You'll have to tune in to see audience. Yep, tune in to find out. Will there be a bee baby? Gosh, I hope we can free my friend. I really hope we do too. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's going to be hard. Will there be tragedy, Probably. sadness, or will there be joyous reunion? Doubtful. I don't know. It depends you, on how long we so took, I, don't I imagine. Know. It's true. Uh, I don't know. Hollis, go back to exploring. You know, after all this is over, go back to her archaeology with her best friend and then, like, you know, a whole sitcom thing where she has to bring the bee baby along with her and then teach the bee baby archaeology. We don't know. Is this, yeah. the, is this the show Bee Baby and Me? Hey, eventually Hollis will have a Drake too. So I'll have a Drake and a bee baby. It's literally two and a half a Drake women. egg warm. Yeah, it's in the it's in my familiar satchel. Sugar's real upset about Sugar it. Sugar incubates it. Goodness. <laughs> um, all right. So, yes, we do have two emails and a uh, message from somebody on our Discord asking oh, a question. Nice. So our first email is from... Renwald in New Jersey. Renwald. I love that name. I was going to say, that's a classic <laughs> awesome. name right there. Yep. From New Jersey, which makes me think of like... Uh, Jersey what Devil Sandpoint. <laughs> okay, we could go that way. I was, thinking, I was thinking Absalom being New York and having New Jersey be like that other thing on the Isle of Cortos. There's like another town or whatever. Dibel. No, uh, just got it first. Sandpoint. I think just got it first, though. So, all right. Also, a Jersey Devil from Sandpoint. Sandpoint. <laughs> I do want to say, Jersey Devil, probably my favorite cryptid. Very fun. Renwald writes, first, wanted to say thank you for the wonderful podcast you all, in parentheses, y'all, continue to put out. You're welcome. As an EMT at this current time, it brings the levity and escape I need to get me through my day. As a self-proclaimed lawful neutral person, it brings me great joy to listen and know how all of you understand and follow the rules. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That is kind of our shtick. We are foes, lawful neutral person. (laughs) And also, thank you for shouldering everything you have to right now. So we really appreciate everything that you're doing for everyone out there. And glad that we can help. This brings me to my first question. The chemistry and camaraderie displayed in the podcast is incredible to see, but as a pl- as a 20 plus year veteran of tabletop gaming, I know arguments happen. How do you <laughs> as a table resolve these arguments? You fight. You, yeah. You throw we punches. Put on, we fisticuffs it out and, you know, just go at it. That's then how I we do it. Out. <laughs> <laughs> we went through a to lot of tables. To be like 100% honest, I don't, we don't really get into big arguments. No. It's kind of like no, the thing that yeah. happened in the last episode where Masika was like, let's go check, and Citra was like, I don't know if that's a good idea, and then eventually one of us just caves. And yeah. then somebody gets to say told you so, and that's just kind of <laughs> how yeah. it is. Kinda, yeah, Pretty that's kind of how we've gone about it. I mean, like, I think like we we as we as players don't really have like arguments like that. We may have our characters mm. argue about stuff, but it's all in game, so it's it's very different. I mean, 
I think like it part of the thing that helps is that we all play with the same style because like Jess, Rachel and I got taught by Rick. Heather, I think mm-hmm. you got played with Rick back when he was learning. Mm-hmm. And then Ross and Rick have played for a long time because Rick's kind of the focal point of the how do we all know each other? There you go. The spider. Hey, in the we met of the Ross web. because Ross and I worked at the same comic book store. I am the link to Ross. Hey! <laughs> there we go. But the link to you is Rick. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's the six degrees of Rick Sandage. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we, we all play in the same style. Like, it's weird. It's actually kind of weird because when I GM, I find myself saying Rick mannerisms. Like, yeah, I, I state things in the same way that Rick does because my internal, like, GM <laughs> monologue just sounds like Rick in the back of my head. <laughs> I will say Some, that sometimes if, we a do, bad thing. if we do have arguments in the, in the game, the best thing to do is to walk away and have some time to think about things because generally you're just caught up in the moment yeah yeah that's good advice the other thing is like if you have one of those fights and maybe you're not like personally involved in it doesn't necessarily mean the other person is so like doing some kind of like aftercare afterwards and being like hey man I know that was intense we so good yeah. You know, kind of check in with your with your fellow players um, just to make sure. I think he's talking about out of character fights. I think he is talking about out of character as well. I don't know. We're we're not the best advice for conflict resolution, really. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to like you know sound like we're all tooting our own horns. Oh, we get along so well, but we just really don't argue like that. Go on a walk, vent to your best friend, and then realize it doesn't matter. It's not worth being mad about because at the end of the day. It's still a game. And most of the time, if we do have conflict in-game between our characters, we tend to handle it in character. Yeah, that's it's an excellent point. And the only thing that I'd really add to any of this is that, especially if you are dealing with it with your, with your gaming group or dealing with it around the table, that a lot of those fights really break down to someone stepping on someone else's autonomy for their mm-hmm. character. Yeah. And yeah. it's a lot of it is just making sure that you respect another person's autonomy. I've been in a gaming group before where I've had people tell me that what I was choosing to do with my character was stupid and that I needed to do X, Y, or Z. And that's just not really the way that you should play. And so I think it helps everyone here that while everyone will throw out a comment and be like, I'm planning on stepping here or I'm planning on getting in there or if you can get your character out of there, I'm going to drop a fireball or something like that that's all well and good but telling someone no i need you to drop everything that you're doing right now and cast the buff spell on me respecting that it is a game and everyone there is is there to have fun but you only get to play one character yeah yeah nobody likes the general at the table who's trying to make everybody do everything the most important thing is that you are having fun with your friends yes and so uh, you should never let the game be something that causes legitimate fights between friends yes we're going to have other things uh, Renwald continues, second, as a podcast, FTP is incredibly inclusive in both their characters and portrayal of said characters. My group has started playing Return of the Rune Lords, and one of the campaign traits has inspired me as a cisgender individual to play for the first time a transgender character. While I'm excited to play this character, I worry about portraying a transgender character with the respect they deserve. What do you do to ensure the characters you play aren't simply stereotypical caricatures of LGBTQ individuals? Make sure that you have the opportunity to probably speak with someone who has lived yep. that life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That would be my first suggestion, if not literature. And if you don't know anyone personally, there are blogs and forums and things that you could go to read those people's stories. 
mm-hmm. to give you some idea of what that life is like. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, don't try to pr- like, don't try to role play the pain and suffering a trans person has probably gone through in Galarian, because Galarian doesn't have the same societal issues that Earth has, yeah. and that can come across as being like, um, oh, there's a word for it. Appropriation. Maybe it's there's a word for for someone who like I'm gonna play a slave and fight back against slavery even though you have there's no reason to do that ah there's I can't think of the word it might be something that's part of your backstory and that you and your GM know about but maybe the other players don't know yeah maybe it comes out in the story maybe it doesn't and that doesn't mean anything less to you playing a trans character because that's something that you've incorporated into the characters backstory and personality and things like that. Yeah, if you want it to be a character trait that comes up, make sure that you handle it, again, with your GM. Be delicate. Be aware of what it means. Yeah. Again, I'm going to kind of back up what Rick said. If you do have friends or people that you know that are transgender, just talk to them. As a teacher, I had transgender students and it was the best experience I think I ever had to be able to just sit down and chat and honestly throw everything I thought I knew about it out the window and actually learn what it meant. Yeah. If that's a part of your character's backstory, that's a part of your character's backstory. But at the end of the day, a transgender man is a man and a transgender woman is a woman. And so it has probably informed who the character is, but shouldn't necessarily change how the character is role played. Yeah. Yeah. They're people. And yeah. Yeah. They're people, and that's how you should play that character. Yeah. I would maybe see, because Jessica brings up a really good point, that the way transgender characters are treated in the world of Galarian versus how they are treated <clears throat> here on Earth are very different. So maybe yeah. if you're if you're wanting that to be a character trait that comes up in the story because you're trying to represent it somehow, figure out how that, like, how your character would have been affected. You yeah. know, maybe not focus on some of the things that transgender people would have dealt with on Earth, but there are those internal struggles um, that mm-hmm. maybe you could touch on. If I could offer a, uh, a resource for you, and you probably go through some of their backlog and all the rest of that and find that. Uh, also, I think No Direction has all the audio files for it. At PaizoCon, they do a number of representation and gaming panels, mm-hmm. which are yeah. great, mm-hmm. and periodically do cover things like transgender individuals in gaming, yeah, again, I, I appreciate it. it shows the amount of care that you're putting into this, that you're actually asking us pertaining towards our representation. And we try our best to be, again, as inclusive as absolute possible with transgender characters, of which uh, there's at least one that has shown up in the uh, in one of the podcasts so far. Yeah. Again, Hollis is asexual. There was Neef back there, who so was uh, non-binary. And uh, Lady Sophronia, of course, who's gender fluid. Mm-hmm. So it, it is important to us, despite the fact that we are all cisgendered individuals to we are allies. Yeah. To not mm-hmm. appropriate, yes. but mm-hmm. at the same time, provide a, a form of representation. Yeah. Um, one book that was absolutely fantastic. Very quick read is George by Alex. Uh, I think it's Gino. And they write a story about a fourth grader named Melissa who is a transgender girl and it kind of talks about how they're coming to grips with what they think and yeah. it's it's just an absolutely beautiful book um, if anybody is interested in reading it 
Awesome. Yeah, that's a great one. So uh, Renwald does not give any kind of sign-off. Bye. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> just like, just like, peace. Great. great couple of questions, though. Those were really good. Yeah, Renwald realizes we're going a little long. Uh, yes. Uh, our next email is from Gary in Gardnerville, Nevada, which I've go- gone ahead and said he's going to be in uh, whatever city they grow the sun orchid elixir or make the sun orchid elixir in because he's in a desert and it's Gardnerville. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. It's a terrible joke, but I thought it was appropriate because we were also talking about Thuvia. He's going to have some new uh, Gerta Blilu uh, neighbors. Oh, yes, exactly. he is. Maybe he's going to learn some Gerta Blilu so he can actually ally with them. And I also, I think I remember that Nevada has a, a pretty diverse scorpion population, too, so that's also fitting. <laughs> yeah, pretty much think. any desert does. <laughs> Marab is the capital, at the very least, All right. of Thuvia. So so Gary from uh, Moab Thuvia writes, Greetings and salutations to the Pathfinders. Hello. Hello. All the Hello. Pathfinders. Hello. Guessing. Hello. All the Pathfinders out there. I have listened to 17 different podcasts, and this is the first time I've Ooh. ever wanted to message the group so much that I'm actually getting around to doing it. Oh, I'm so touched. It's very touching. <laughs> when I first started listening to this podcast, there were 106 episodes. Huh? This is my first Pathfinder storyline I've listened to, and I've got to say it's been quite the adventure. I love how awesome. you guys can each play your character so well and stick to the storyline with very little BS in between. <laughs> little do you know. I was gonna say the editing takes care of a, a little editing bit of BS. magic, but actually no, the group tends to stay really on topic. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say most, most of our BS aside. actually gets kept in. Hey, I take offense to that. My '90s references are beloved and funny. Yes. <laughs> they enhance it's a, the. It's a character quirk <laughs> at this point. For I for resemble her. that remark. Oh man, uh, Gary continues. <laughs> I admire the clean language from the group. When I first started listening, I kept hearing sudden gaps, and I was thinking that there was something wrong with the audio until I realized there weren't any swear words. (laughs) I thought it was pretty funny that you started adding in the sword sound effect. Uh, It was actually because people, uh, somebody wrote in and said that they thought their headphones were dying. Yes, because of the the gaps, yeah. We were swearing a bunch, you know? And and keep in mind, remember back when we were first recording, we had the audio looped in, too, so when he was cutting it, it was cutting the audio in the soundtrack as well. So, like, the sound was cutting everything. That was before I put Sirenscape on a separate track. Yeah, but we decided to make improvements for your listening pleasure. We we slowly got better. Constant improvement. Yes. I enjoy listening to you guys, and as I've grown accustomed to it the past few weeks... Because I am able to listen to you at work, I go through about eight episodes a day. Oh, Dang. wow. You're Dang. like me with my true crime podcast. That's what I do. <laughs> I was saying, our episodes are long, man. Yeah, it's, that's, uh, that's, kinda, that's a solid, like, 10 to 12 hours of audio a day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's intense. All my coworkers think, think it's funny when I start randomly laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that at work before and, and people give you very strange looks like how yeah. dare you listen to something entertaining while you work particularly if you have a very outgoing laugh <laughs> I was going to say it's I have a but very loud laugh <laughs> I do start sounding like uh, Titus from Final Fantasy X oh my god <laughs> <laughs> two people got that one oh, right. dude I love that scene keep up the good work I can't wait to hear more from you guys I love Narmer Oh, thank you, Gary. You must have a great time playing as him. Uh, my favorite NPC that I that I played was the Huntmaster. I basically played him as Gaston. There's your Disney reference. <laughs> yeah, yes. my what a guy. Oh, what? Sorry, Jordan. I love the what. 
Oh, sorry, that's what? <laughs> Every time something happens that you're not expecting. It really shows the surprise in not just you as a character, but you as a player, and it brings a lot to the life of Sudi. <laughs> to be fair, my verbal ex I don't I don't they're not expletives, but like my my things that I say, I'm not even aware I'm saying them. I just say basically. them. So like yeah, my 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 mental or my verbal tick. So like saying like what or oh no my dice or whatever I'm saying. Like I don't I'm not even aware I'm saying that half the time. It just flies out of my mouth. Half the time when Jordan yells what, I picture Sudi yelling what too, so you know. <laughs> I also cut out the low energy Goodness. ones, so the uh, high energy ones are the only ones that make it in there. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's, you're it's only just like the, the best what? version of my what's. There's the, there's the exclamation, and then every once in a while, like, I'll go into a whole giant explanation of something, and then Jordan's like, cool. <laughs> That's, I'm just like cut. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> at least, at least from Jessica. Yeah, like, at least from Jessica, I get a hmm, like she's stroking her chin contemplatively. <laughs> <laughs> One, I like making all of you guys laugh, and I think you reciprocate that very yeah. well. So, like, because I know Jess and I, like, our entire existence is basically making each other. Oh gosh, laugh. yeah. Yes. The longer I spent with you guys, the crazier you became. So I went because I went on a trip with yeah. with the two of them, and it was like every single day that passed. I'm like, these dudes are weird and I thought I knew how weird Jessica was and Jordan just like amplifies it and I'm like yeah that's I, why these I two are together I do amplify her weirdness but it works yeah, it works strange. we're spiraling we are spiraling <laughs> we do that we're weird alright we spiraled uh, Gary continues All it right. also goes to show how amazing your GM is at keeping you guys focused <laughs> Rick does do a very good job at that. Except for right now. After parties are when it all goes out of hand. I'll have to leave that in because I was just making a circling motion with my hands like we're spiraling, guys. Carry Come on. on, carry on. We like to just meander. Oh, man. Okay, Gary continues. I swear we're going to get through this. The best what moment that will forever be ingrained in my mind is when Sudi had his eye ripped out by old eye taker. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, that's probably that was that's what I have too because yeah. I was just like I was like I don't know what I was expecting with the name old eye taker but he old eye takes me I thought I had more time I just remember being <laughs> well, mad were so <laughs> close to like making your checks it was oh uh, yeah yep. it was like uh, one yeah that was some hard yeah, times I like that we said Franuris. That op that episode was great. Yeah. Oh, like, man. oh god, the law. <laughs> one that was a fun episode, and two, it it was a like. You don't expect them to pull the trigger on something like that. You're like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah like gonna... that's one of those threats that's just live, like it's just lingering. But it's like this guy like rips out people's hearts. It's like, well, he's not gonna rip out my heart. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm mean, at least gonna get a couple saves. But when Jordan runs yeah, into right. old heart taker, he knows what's up. No, not doing it. You so can't he's gonna be like, oh, I'm not enough stone to not need he's a heart like, yet. We need the whole party for this one. <laughs> yep. Oh, goodness. Um, I'm going to read this again because uh, it flows into the next thing he said. The best what moment that will forever be ingrained in my mind is when Sudi had his eye ripped out by old eye taker and how you immediately became a bat with all your dice rolls nice. for the <laughs> remainder of that episode. Yeah. <laughs> it, the dice tell the story. I don't know what story, happens yeah. with my dice. Sometimes, sometimes my dice tell the story better than I do, and they're like, yes, this is the time when Sudi actually like, is fully unloading on somebody. Yeah. Yeah, something Sometimes like that. Sometimes that's how it be. I am a third degree black belt, wow. so air fist bump to you. Wow. Air fist bump to you, sir. I only ever got two first degree black belts. I got so. to white belt. Granted, I was hey. just five, gave you for okay? showing up. So 
<laughs> Hello, welcome to class. Here is your white belt. My, I, my sensei tried <laughs> oh, to push nice. me into the splits, and I was like, screw this, and I left class. <laughs> oh, Rachel man, was really? saucy. She was a feisty lady. Goodness. I want to get back into it, though. We're I would spiraling. love to do like some adult martial arts. We're spiraling again. <laughs> yep, we're spiraling. Um, it's Rachel. She says, you should look the up spiral. the cycle of destruction. It would go well with Sudi's pummeling stance. I'm going to now have to look Ooh. that up. I love when I'm people curious. give me things that I should look at. That's how Hollis got her thingy that lets her prepare a spell in a standard. We action. listen to the base. We do. Uh, yeah, also because we're not like encyclopedias that know every single Pathfinder thing out there, and there's plenty of stuff I'm sure we always miss. Yeah, it's also I'm a firm believer in the uh, paradox of choice. Mm. I'm a firm believer in just uh, going, yeah. I know what I'm going to enjoy. I don't need to like what is going to be the best feat for every single level. But I do love it when someone brings up something somewhat obscure that I can just kind of jump in and just go, well, I was just going to take weapon focus because mm. why not? I'm always looking for something weird to take. Weapon focus foot. <laughs> All right, Gary continues. Rick, I am a DM for D&D 5e, and one of the problems that I'm always facing is the amount of experience that the group should be rewarded for taking on a group of creatures. I know each creature has an experience rewarded for their challenge rating level, but would you grant any additional experience for defeating a group of, say, 12 instead of a group of four? Also, do you award the, do you award the group when they complete a dungeon? Uh, so first off, I, I will say that I've never run 5e, so I don't know if the experience works any differently, but just throwing that out there. Wouldn't it be per creature? Well, yeah, you would receive the experience per key. I'm thinking of what he's saying is, is... Would you give additional experience for, like, how difficult that would be? Generally yeah. speaking, no. You don't want to mess with the experience too much or go too far in and out of the, uh, the experience range. I do like quest completion XP, though. So if the party completes a dungeon... Mm. Usually I don't give it for something like I've completed a dungeon because the party was probably going to already complete the dungeon. However, if their goal in completing the dungeon was to get a rare ingredient to make a poison to save a king or something, once that poison is made, I would def or once the poison, once they poison the king, I would <laughs> oh, give them hey, experience for poisoning that king uh, <laughs> or saving the king, whichever they decide to do. <laughs> I also just really like Milestone. I've been doing Milestone yeah. in all the games I run. It's so easy. We're doing Milestone right now for uh, Hell's Rebels. And yep. Yep. It's an easier system, and I think I brought it up uh, whenever I talked about it for Hell's Rebels. I might not have actually brought it up on air anytime. It works really well for a podcast because people yeah. level mm -hmm. up at story beats as opposed to just like, I mean, heck, I think you guys actually did level up after mm -hmm. you we, we did level up haunt. after the last episode. Whereas it's like, Midway it would have actually been, yeah, it's like, whereas it would have actually been a little bit more interesting if you'd leveled up after like beating the Glabra Zoo or something like that, where it's, you know, this felt like a thing that should have pushed you to your next level. Yep. Gary signs off. You guys are great and I love you all. Please keep up the good work. Oh, Aww, we love you too, thank Gary. You. Uh, love you too, thank Gary. You. P.S. I also liked the movie Waterworld. Smiley <laughs> face. <laughs> People who like this movie do exist. Look at that. So, <laughs> two. There's two of you. No, because I got a message of two other people, so we're at least up to four. Goodness. <laughs> the Waterworld fan base is growing. If I got any other Waterworld lovers, please get on the Discord and tag me so I know. I need my Waterworld fans. <laughs> She'll make a I guess small the other tribe. question is, did you like the Postman? <laughs> Not particularly. Yeah. I do love me some Kevin Costner, though. Like, just in general, I love Kevin Costner. <laughs> He's just a cool dude. Goodness. All right. 
Real quick from a question from Hydro Flare on our Discord, mm. who writes hey. to say, after a point in an adventure path, do you find it acceptable for the party to fail and the big bad to win? As in a TPK or the clock runs out on an event, etc. All of them include what happens if you fail. A few of the adventure paths do have a time crunch. Like if you don't, yeah. you have this amount of time and if you don't do it, bad things happen. Second <laughs> darkness so. springs to mind. <laughs> Like and I think in, even in Rise of the Rune Lords, the longer you take, the more powerful the big bad gets. So yeah. My personal opinion on this, and I haven't ever had to implement it, so eh, take that for what it is. I am under the impression that I would give the party a chance to keep trying up until book six. If the party dies in book six, then that probably means that the good guys lost. Yeah. Because at that point, there's almost no one else that could really step in. Honestly, I'm under the impression that if, if I had a party TPK in like book four or book five of an adventure path, I'd probably just pull out book six and go, well, all of your heroes and everything else felled in uh, second darkness. And so uh, your champions from Curse of the Crimson Throne are stepping in to go, well, there's a giant F all meteor coming on. So uh, let's do something about this. <laughs> or grab whatever group that you think would make them like the party fall, fails to save Osirian if you're playing Mummy's Mask and then suddenly your characters from Legacy of Fire jump in and go, well, that's our next door. Let's go take care of this flying pyramid guy. I prefer <laughs> strongly your Skull and Shackle characters just decide to go to the desert and you've got pirates in the <laughs> desert and it's just ridiculous. And they're just like sloshing through the sand going, like, oh, is why this? is the rum gone? <laughs> <laughs> they just show up and the pharaohs give it. It's like, it's like, I am the reborn god. I am the sun. And what are you doing over there? Then it pans over. It's just all the pirates are just shoveling all the gold into a sarcophagus. <laughs> what? Great Don't mind us. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> they pans outside and they've turned their pirate ship into an airship and it's just firing cannons at the side of a yes. <laughs> yeah. that's, oh, the, that's the director's cut ending of this adventure path goodness. <laughs> goodness sadly our budget's not big enough for that that's my Audrey 2 eats New York's secret cut <laughs> yeah. nice. I'm also of the opinion of you have that conversation with, the, with your players do you want yeah. to continue on with the adventure path because sometimes people are are at the wit's end with it. They're just like, and eh, we're not really interested in this. We've, we've lost the thread, whatever. So, you know, maybe we just stop and play something else. So that's always an option too. If you TPK is sometimes you can just let it lie and nobody knows what the ending is. Somebody was talking, I think it was on the discord. Maybe they were like, well, we started playing the slithering and then we TPK in the first fight and went, mm, let's play something different. And then they played something <laughs> else. Yeah, I have a feeling that the earlier on it happens. That's when you tend to jump the boat at this point. If we had a TPK in Mummy's Mask in this book, I'd be like, no, new characters, roll yeah, them. Sorry, I gotta know what happens. The new characters so sure. shows yeah. back up with I'm the invested. Faded. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. We've already established our B team. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, Heather raises a very valid point. It's like, I think most people will drop off at an adventure path and just decide not to go back to it, especially if it's in the first half of the adventure path. But I think a lot of people, if you get to books, if you get to books three or four, most people are going to really want to actually finish that. And then uh, I, I think it's usually in the latter books that if a party dies, then you'll want to do something like just say the villain won. Sometimes the bad guys win. Sometimes it makes for a more interesting story. I've I've seen some of those posts where people have put together. What if what if the bad guys win in every single adventure path? And Galarian is a messed up place. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure it is. 
No doubt. I mean, or you can just go the Tyrant's Grasp way in, uh, you know, episode one. Well, <laughs> oh, the yeah. good guys basically lost before the story began. <laughs> True. So they're True. just playing catch up at this point. All right. And that's the end of our questions. So go ahead and bounce me a D5. Okay, I'm just going to make that a D6 and then re-roll if it's a 6. Or you can bounce a D10 and divide it by 2. I could do that too, but my D6 are <laughs> fancy dice, so take that. Doesn't matter because I rolled a 1. <laughs> seems right. Yes, it does seem right. <laughs> I'm not even mad. I just I was literally thinking in my head right before I rolled that. I'm like, it's going to be a 1. <laughs> Alright guys, it's going to get a little interesting. Oh boy. So start thinking about your voice acting talents. Ooh. Today, we're going to cast... Gurlandir, the Gossamer King. Ah. Gurlandir is the god of pestilence, infestation, and insects. His form resembles that of a giant mosquito, warped and distended by the parasites that he hosts. He leaves Malas in his wake, laying waste to everything he can. Gurlandir revels in suffering, especially that caused by sickness, the last gasp of air into fluid-filled lungs, the terrorizing dreams that come only from the hottest of fevers. It is said that the Gossamer King was once swaddled in a cocoon, but was released by the curious Desna into the world with a cleave of her star knife. Since then, the goddess has pursued him in a macabre dance, hoping to kill him as they flirt between planes. He looks like... Oh, yeah, I remember this guy. guy. It's super gross, yeah. All right, I've got mine. It's ridiculous. I've got mine, and it's ridiculous as well. Okay, all right. But I am ashamed to say we have not cast him yet in anything, and he is probably one of my favorite voice actors. Mark Hamill. Okay. (laughs) Mark Hamill. I do like Mark Hamill. That was on my list. You put a little little vibrato-like filter (laughs) on him as he's going that, so it sounds a little insecty. He could do a good job with that. I love his voice acting work. I do love Mark Hamill. Yeah, Mark Hamill's pretty cool. Although over the years, his regular speaking voice has become more and more Joker. (laughs) His regular speaking voice is basically Joker at this point. (laughs) So, all that being said, Mark Hamill, he's a delight. Mine's kind of off the wall, but uh, I don't know. I'm going to go with Benedict Cumberbatch. (laughs) <laughs> have we not cast Benedict Cumberbatch? No, anything? we have not. I think he's been no. up for something before, but yeah. yeah he's definitely he's been nominated been... for stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I just something about a, a, a classy bug deity. I don't know. It just popped it, into my a... head, and it was one of those, I can see that. It'd be an interesting <laughs> contrast. It's so, like, gross, but then it has, like, this such a sweet voice it, coming in. Yeah. Also, he gets really into his roles. Like, his whole smog thing was, like, yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, it was, it was pretty sure. cool. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Benedict Cumberbatch. It's a fun choice. Yeah, good choice. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the one that popped in my head first. Al Pacino? Because he's okay. kind of got this, like, gruff voice. But I've seen him in, in serious things, but I've also seen him be totally wacky. So I feel like he's got the range to really just do whatever would be necessary for this parasitic god. Mm. I kind of like see it. Al Pacino. Yeah. Like that's that was the first thing that popped in my head when I was like I, I picture something with a, a gruff raspy voice and I was like Al Pacino. Alright. So that, okay. that's fine. Al Pacino. I can kind of buy it. Yeah. Rick? Okay. So I mean so so far we've had a, a wide range here just ranging from uh, deep and kind of disturbing with the Al Pacino level or uh, a little bit more suave with Benedict Cumberbatch but uh, I'm going to go for the 
the comedic angle to play oh, off uh, you're Eva going Green's second choice. straight lace. I'm going Ryan Reynolds. Oh, nope. You didn't go with who I thought. Wait, have we not cast Ryan Reynolds? He has no. great. I'm, I don't think we've cast him for anything. No, he has great Ryan delivery. It's kind of a constant humor. Can you imagine Ryan Reynolds' voice coming from a giant bug just played off for a bit of a uh, bit of levity? Hmm. See, I thought you were going to say Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> oh, wow. I'd have been tempted by that one also, and uh, I don't think this is probably Jessica's, but uh, my my runner-up was uh, Jeff Goldblum. Nope. Oh, nice. Just as no a nice homage too, but <laughs> very nice, very nice. Right. But no, Ryan Reynolds, come on, he, he can add a, a lot of a lot of humor, a lot of yeah. fun to that. I'm sure he'd love doing the bug voice himself. He, he would. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I hear you, but Bill Nye, the science Bill guy, the science guy, Nye, no, 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 British no, no. Actor. Bill Nye, the science guy, Bill Nye. He, uh, I don't he, know who this is. He, he played um, oh, so Davy Jones. He's he was uh, the vampire um, head guy in Underworld. He oh, was okay. in Pirate Radio. He was been in Harry Potter as Rufus Scrimgeour. He's Saint Germain in okay. Castlevania. He's yeah. he's the the singer in Love Actually. He's the bad guy in Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Yeah. Oh yeah, there he's freaking amazing. Yes. He's okay. very good. Okay, I I think I'm. I think I'm I'm backing up Jess on this one. I really yeah. love Bill Nye for this one. <laughs> Bill Nye is just such a weird dude. I love him so much. Agreed. Which well, means we'll folk. have to leave it up to the path folk. No, Remember Bill to go Nye's on our Reddit votes, and so vote right now he for wins. your uh, preferred so casting. Je- so Rach is changing her vote, y'all. I mean, I'll put Al Pacino up there, but Bill Nye. <laughs> you know, Bill Nye is just a win for Jess. Just think how much fun Ryan Reynolds would have with that role. I don't, just, I don't, uh, yeah. just think of how few castings I've actually gotten and, and vote for Mark Hamill. <laughs> Mark Hamill is good. He was on my list. Mark Hamill is a good choice, too. I'll be the pity vote. <laughs> Jordan's not proud. This is this is not this is not my good like the good thing I'm good at. It's <laughs> not the good thing you're good at. But yeah, lots of good choices. That is it for this after party. Thank you so much for tuning in, putting up with us getting off topic probably way more than Rick allowed us to <laughs> from editing. Um, editing. And uh, feel free to engage with us on the Discord, to send us an email, write us a message on Reddit. At me, your love of Waterworld. And so especially tell Rachel that Waterworld is a good a half movie. Dozen of you. <laughs> yes. To, tune in to next after party where we'll be talking about Waterworld in depth for an hour and a half. <laughs> no, no, we're not going to do that. It's just Rachel. I would do it. It's just Rachel. I don't even hey, remember what next that movie's about. Next lore. I'll just do it on Waterworld. Waterworld. Good gracious. Oh, you know what? Soddenlands, Waterworld. Oh, yeah, there you go. Do the Soddenlands. That's funny. Um, all right. Thank you so much, everybody. And until next time, bye, Pathfolk. Bye, Good luck, everyone. Don't die. Don't TPK. Don't. No TPKs. Your characters must live forever. Make sure you wash your table with your cat. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.